I'm Tass Mellis of The Starters. This is Ben Golver with the Open Floor Podcast. Hi, I'm Kristen Ludlow from NBA Inside Stuff. I'm OG Ananobi of the Toronto Raptors. Hey, I'm Elena Donon, and welcome to the Double Clutch. Double Clutch. Double Clutch. Double Clutch. Double Clutch Podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Double Clutch Podcast. I'm Mike Miller, and tonight I'm joined by our very own Savvy Vet, a man who's much wanted on the buyout market, but no one was really interested in trading for him. All in black. Mr. Nick Whitfield. How's it going, Nick? I'm good, Mike. And I'd just like to take this opportunity to announce that I have actually signed in free agency with the Brooklyn Nets. I said, I met with Steve Nash and I said, look, Steve, I'm 36 years old. I have one knee and one ankle that still work. What do you think? And he said to me, you'll fit right in. <laughs> do you know what? As you said that, I'm just reminded of the IT guy in the office who's like, you know, the go-karting jokes. So have you yeah. ever been go-karting? <laughs> also, also joining us, trying to hide away in case we trade him uh, for two second round picks or cash considerations, dressed in camouflage, it's Mr. Josh Coyne. Hi, um, it's really great to be with you once again, but also this is absolutely not camouflage. I just... Thought I would embrace the kind of garish, flowery shirt to kind of go with the ongoing theme within the NBA UK basketball community of shit shirts. <laughs> I wondered where that was going then. Um, I don't know about you guys. Uh, firstly, welcome to the show, everyone. Uh, thanks for watching. Um, if you're not already following us on social media platforms, do so at Double Clutch UK, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. We are on Twitch, obviously. If you're looking at us now, it's twitch.tv slash Double Clutch UK. And you can find our Discord community at discord.me slash Double Clutch. Um, but the clocks have gone forwards. The weather's been beautiful today. We got an overtime game at 6pm yesterday, which was just fantastic. And lockdown is easing. Apparently. Life is good. So to celebrate, I thought I'd drop this. British. British. Exceptional. <laughs> well, if you enjoyed that, just to let you know, I will be embarking on a regional socially distanced tour this summer opening for Josh Coyne's Chief Springs. So uh, come and check us out. <laughs> you know, you know but- what? I'm excited for your set. But also, I hope you, in the live environment, you can make it equally as Alan Partridge as you did in this. <laughs> <laughs> I shall certainly try. Um, well, thank you everyone for joining us today. Obviously, uh, we've got lots of NBA action to talk about. Shout out to everyone who's already out there in the stream, already getting the comments going. Um, but let's start with some non-NBA news first. Uh, so Rittle University College announced today the UK's first bespoke three-on-three basketball courts. Friend of the show, founder of the GG three-on-three and the face of Basketball England's Project Swish, Martin Diane, was the lead consultant on it, which is pretty awesome. It's six floodlit half courts. Well, I'd say six. It's six hoops, four half courts, one show court centrepiece, which looks amazing. As you can see it on the screen there. Uh, if you can't see it, it's basically amazing bold, vibrant colours designed by Molly Hawkins, and it's got the latest Mega Slam hoop systems. I don't know about you guys, but I go on the Mega Slam hoops website quite frequently, trying to uh, sort of barter with the missus to have one installed at our next home and continue to fail, but it looks absolutely epic. Uh, So this is pretty cool, right? A a custom, 
specifically for three on three in the UK. Yeah, as uh, you know, Nick knows a lot about this, but as the game continues to grow around the world and it's obviously been adopted by certain sporting bodies to kind of try and help it grow. It's amazing that, especially with a friend of the podcast being so heavily involved, a lot of respect for what Martin has done over the recent years. And this is just another another string to his bow. Fantastic work and can't wait to see what happens with Free on Free in the country. Yeah, it's pretty amazing what's happened. And I couldn't help but notice that it is almost Whitfield University. And with my dad's side of my family all being from Essex, I now feel an incredible bond to this institution. Um, As someone who I I chose my university essentially based on the basketball setup, I went to Sussex and it was uh, done with the Brighton Bears uh, at the time. So uh, yeah, I can't help but think if I was 20 years younger and deciding currently where I was going to be studying, that would sway me heavily to uh, where I'd want to go for sure. Yeah, I I, I agree. It looks incredible. Um, fair play to Martin for, for being part of that. It's an awesome achievement. Uh, if you want to hear more from Martin, Wednesday at 8pm on Clubhouse, Martin will be chatting with our very own Hugh Hopkins. Apparently Clubhouse is where the almost as cool kids as the cool kids who watch Twitch streams hang out. Um, Let's go to, it feels like ages ago, but we need to start with the trade deadline. Honestly, it it feels like it was weeks ago and it was what, last Thursday? So we had a couple of questions on this. Um, Rich Barrett wanted to know the best trade of the deadline day, the worst trade of deadline day, the biggest winner and the biggest loser. Rich Fang, apparently Richards love these trade deadlines, um, wanted to know uh, who won, who lost, what was the best trade and what was the stinkiest? So... um, We'll start with best trade uh, of of deadline day. Nick, where did you land on this one? So I'm going to start off with something I need to get off my chest. There's a winner and a loser for me. The winner, uh, the Knicks, they didn't do anything stupid. I, I mentioned it in our Discord. There should be a banner hung in Madison Square Garden because that is incredible from a New York Knicks franchise. Um the loser for me is Tom Hall, who <laughs> I spent 5,000 of my hard-earned double-clutch points in uh, last week's call, and I did not get to see Messi Pillows. And with that in mind, and WrestleMania coming up, I'd like to call Tom Hall out to a match at WrestleMania. Loser <laughs> has Messi Pillows for the rest of their lives. <laughs> wow, I didn't see that turn uh, taking place. I assumed you were you were going to reference the trade being the exchange of the the, the five thousand double clutch points for no messy pillows being like I don't know trading for a, a pick that doesn't pan out. Um, but you didn't. You went down a WrestleMania route. Um, Josh, your best trade. Um, I think my the best trade for me is Vucevic uh, to the Chicago Bulls. Um, the reason being. Um, basically is because I'll explain this in the next subject when we go on to kind of who the winner of it is. Spoiler alert, I'm going with the Chicago Bulls. Um, But I think that, you know, it's uh, added uh, a star to a team that have kind of committed to being a good basketball team, which I think is refreshing. I I had them as my second choice for this. Obviously, uh, the the trade involved was uh, the Bulls getting uh, Vucevic and Al Farouk Amino, the Magic getting Wendell Carter Jr., Otto Porter Jr., and two future first-round picks. I I like what they did, completely understand why they did it. Um, But for me, it was the Aaron Gordon trade because the pressure's on Denver. They're the fifth seed at the minute, and this was supposed to be 
the year they ascended to, you know, to sort of continue this progression from uh, third and the Western Conference Finals last year, um, second and the East and the Western Conference Semis the year before. They lost a lot of defensive presence over the summer. They lost a lot of role players and they've over-relied on Jokic so far. And I just think, I think I said it a couple of weeks ago, certainly Tom and I were on the same wavelength about how he would be a good fit there. Um, I think Aaron Gordon's perfect for them. Um, they gave up Gary Harris, which was something Nick predicted in the uh, the Slack chat. Um, not Slack, sorry, uh, Discord. Um, they gave up RJ Hampton as well and a future first round pick, which is 2025 and it's protected. So, okay, you've got to give up something to get back Aaron Gordon and Gary Clark. And they look, I don't know if you saw the game last night, but they looked pretty good already in the lineup. He he, he was feeding off Jokic in, in a couple of different ways to get his opening buckets. He was stepping out to the three. I just felt it was it was a perfect match so far. You couldn't ask for more in, a, in an opening game for someone who's just come in midway through the season. Yeah, he he. I think what's important is that there's a kind of shift in expectations for Gordon. Uh, everyone throughout his career has been waiting for that jump. Um, but ultimately, I just don't think that he needs to uh, be the guy who you're constantly feeding in the post. He doesn't need to be your go-to kind of number one catalyst of the offense like the Orlando Magic were so desperately hoping for him to become. Uh, and I think that if he can kind of maximize his ability in different ways, I think it's an amazing fit for Denver. The only reason I wouldn't have said that they're the winner um, of the trade deadline is solely because of his freakish obsession uh, with his uh, the dunk contest. <laughs> you see that he kind of chose his number in Denver based on the score of 50. I mean, come on, man. You've done a lot more. You've done a lot more on the actual basketball court. Sure, not maybe what people wanted from you, but Has we we all know that the All Star. I know that I go on this rant once a month, but we all know that it's kind of a the circus comes to town for a weekend. Don't make your entire career around this. Aim higher. Come on, Aaron Gordon. <laughs> Interestingly, I had. Um... I'm with Mike on this one with uh, Denver being a big winner here in they acquired Aaron Gordon. And one of the things we were doing uh, synergy was tweeting out some kind of stats about how players might fit with their new teams. And with Aaron Gordon, uh, we looked at he, on the season, he had an effective field goal percentage of 71% finishing uh, on basket cuts and 65% on catch and shoot jump shots, which kind of tells you that that is so far above his overall numbers that that's actually what he should be doing on a basketball floor rather than being a kind of go-to guy uh, along with Vucevic as he was on the Magic. Um, but I also have the Magic as losers in this deal where it has, Aaron Gordon's long been a kind of... Uh, someone that media analysts have been wanting the magic to trade for a long time. He kind of gets every season for about four years. It's felt like he's bit, his name has been in uh, the rumor mill and it feels like the magic have traded him at the lowest possible point in his value. Um, which kind of tells you that wasn't the smartest management, um, of that. Uh, I'm going to say asset. I don't like describing players as assets, but you know what I mean when I say that. Um, and so, yeah, it feels like I, I understand why the Magic are doing what they're doing, but it felt like, and I felt that with a few players where uh, Vucevic even had they traded him last year, even before he's 30 or like, there's just like a number of things. Fournier, it feels like they could have got more from a few years ago. Like if they were going to, um, they just let this team, this roster that, 
was clearly not a contender go on too long until the players weren't worth as much in trades. Yeah, it's almost like getting uh, knocked out in gentleman's sweeps two years on the bounce was was what they were aiming for. Mm. I was, I, I want to say, just before his first All Star, I, I was adamant that they should be selling high on Vooch at that point, mm-hmm. uh, just because that's when everyone, you know, everyone was suddenly peaking at it. Got peaked interest in him, Gordon, his his stock assets and stock um, dropped significantly because he was always being put in rumour. So there's clearly a a feeling around there. Why is he not wanted in Orlando? Or why is he disposable? And then put on top of that, the trade request as well. It just all of a sudden becomes, you know, you're never going to get dollar for dollar. And yeah. they ended up having a fire sale in general. I mean, the return's not too bad. I get, I get that it's protected 2025, so there's room for Denver to implode over the next uh, four years. RJ Hampton's a prospect. Gary Harris, I have not given up on him yet. I still, th- I remember, I want to say two years ago, we were debating whether he could be the best star with the most boring name. Yeah, and I, I <laughs> that still was actually st- a Nick Silly Nonsense question before Nick Silly Nonsense existed. <laughs> there we go. Um, I. Yeah, I, I get why you're saying that. They they definitely sold lower on him. They hung on too long. Um, so let's go to worst of the uh, the worst trade of the deadline day. Then can I just jump in because I don't think yeah, I sorry. spoke about the Bulls enough. Um, I I skirted around the issue. I, for me, it's kind of a, a bigger thing than just winner. It's like um, there's a there's a weird shift in mindset recently for me uh, in that the the logic has always obviously been that. You should be really, really good or really bad in the NBA. The worst thing you can do is be on that treadmill of mediocrity that everyone kind of dreads. Um, but we've seen too many, at this point, I personally feel we've seen too many teams rebuild to the point of skirting the playoffs, then eventually go through this cycle where they eventually lose their main players to a big market probably and have to hit reset. So if there only ever are going to be kind of two or three teams really within kind of an era um, with a realistic chance of winning and tanking never kind of guarantees that success, I have more respect than ever for teams like Chicago. And that's for me personally why they are kind of a big winner because they have committed to being a probably non-contending but good basketball team. And they've committed to getting the United Centre roaring again, you know, to have those moments that the jersey really deserves. So I'm saying for me, the Chicago Bulls are the winner and, you know, no no rebuild. Even this kind of OKC um, war chest that they have guarantees players as good as Vucevic and Levine are going to be on your team. There's no guarantee of that. Just, just on your point, Josh, I think some it's quite a general point, but one thing I think... Uh, this year we've seen in particular, apart from outside of Orlando, obviously, is that the combination of the play-in games, meaning down to 10th, people feel like they've got something to play for, combined with the flattening of draft odds means that it feels like there may be a skew to the tanking being less worthwhile for f- mm-hmm. fewer and fewer teams, if that makes sense. So um, 
and I think that's a good thing for the league. If team, if more teams are actually trying to win games because there's no incentive for them to lose or much less incentive, that and I think Chicago is a team like that where in years past they may have tried to flip Levine, say, for a load of assets like draft picks and stuff. But actually this year they've gone the other way and say, well, actually, let's try and put a, like a better team together, which I think mm-hmm. is only a good thing. Yeah, exactly. Like in in years past, they probably would have been doing the exact same thing as Orlando this year. Um, but that's exactly what I, mean, I think. This is the first time we're really seeing that that shift that you just described embodied by a team. And I think that kind of not necessarily championship aspiration in in a realistic world, um, but an aspiration to be good, entertaining, and kind of serve the city. To play devil's advocate with Chicago, they they lose Wendell Carter in this deal, who I think is an incredibly talented player who's got a lot more to show in the NBA. And Vucevic isn't young. So do you think Vucevic boosts them enough in the next few years of his prime for them to be a... Do you think he really moves the needle on that team? I think that the team currently with that those two as their stars makes them a team that could have some valuable uh, valuable playoff series, you know, of note. Because the alternative, like I said, that kind of non-stop rotation of people tanking and trying to get good and getting to the point where they're just about a playoff team and then they lose their guy and they have to hit restart again. Like Orlando is a big case of it. And, you know, anything you can do to avoid that and if the absolute optimum result is a couple of playoff series wins, then I think the needle is moved to that level by Vucevic and Levy. See, I also had, despite Gordon being my best trade, I had the winners being Chicago. For, for a similar line of thought, the counter-argument is always, well, okay, well, you know, at the, I can't remember where they were at the time, they're now 10th. Realistically, who are they going to jump above here in order to become a team that's not in the play-in or a team that, you know, is going to be competing for a playoff spot consistently. And to me, it's not about looking at it as short-term as that. They've obviously got Vooch in. They've got him for another couple of seasons. I think he'll be 33 by the time the contract runs out. So they've got him during what was what should be perceived to be his peak, or at least the start of his decline. They've paired him with Zach Levine. They've automatically created a better looking franchise, which is something that Chicago has been crying out for uh, for almost a decade. And what we've got now is one of the big, in terms of television markets, we've got one of the big NBA markets, again, with two stars. They might not be the biggest names in the world, but they're solid. Uh, You've got one high flyer as well. And that's going to attract other free agents. And I think Mm -hmm. this is is a, a move with next season to the year after basically at the forefront of, of the decision making like it's not going to it's not gonna, they're not suddenly going to be competing for for home court i don't think and if you look through uh i mean out, out, outside of the top 3 it's an absolute cluster of teams that are just going to scrap to get there mm-hmm. and most likely most of them will end up getting knocked out in five games in the first round this is a medium term move and for that reason I like it because it's not like they haven't just all gone cash everything in on a star that's overrated he's a solid player he can be dependable he's got a game start, like a style of play that should age relatively well it's not overly reliant on athleticism and I, I, I like it for a number of reasons yeah and what you just described there is basically to, to use a cliche 
is a winning culture um, and the template that, you know, that was used by Brooklyn. And mm-hmm. look where they are now. I know they're in New York City. Uh, um, but they used that, didn't they? They created a winning culture. They created, uh, they, they showed clear ambition uh, and they made themselves a valuable, you know, a, an attractive suitor for reagents. And, uh, you know, if Chicago can follow suit, then all power to them. So, so we've skipped out the the worst, uh, the worst trade and the uh, well, we've skipped out the negatives. We'll get back to them in a minute. We've done uh, we've done uh, biggest winner and uh, best trade. I don't think we've had biggest winner from you yet, Nick. Yet, Nick, have we? Uh, I'd probably go for Denver for me, but just another couple of teams worth mentioning that I don't think we've got to yet. But I think we'd be remiss not mentioning them. Is Miami? picking up Oladipo and only really losing Olinik, who whose role as a stretch big they basically replaced with Bielitsa anyway. So keeping the core that went to the finals last year and adding a kind of one-year rental experiment of Oladipo to that is, you can't interpret that as anything other than positive, I don't think. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other one uh, with a couple of clues behind me is Brooklyn, who... Um, Picking up LaMarcus Aldridge as a buyout is massive, I think, for their depth. For I think he's got a lot more left in the tank than Blake Griffin, for example, who, again, it has to be worth mentioning. A lot of you probably saw the uh, highlight recently against the Pistons, a grudge match for Blake, having left that team with obviously some bad feeling. Caught an alley-oop, stared down the bench. And what was left off most of the highlights was the next play down the floor. Sadiq Bey dribbles past him like his feet are stuck to the ground with super glue. And yeah. I, I don't think his feet moved even at the time Sadiq Bey actually dunked the ball afterwards. So it was like someone had paused him. Yeah. Um, again, it, it's like I'm a big fan of Blake Griffin. It's, it's sad to see that, but it just got left off a lot of the highlights. So I think LaMarcus could be bigger for that team than Blake in a playoff series. His go-to skill set and his moves, he's a better defender still. His like his post game is still pretty much at the point where he can just hit fadeaways automatically. Um, so yeah, I think that's a big signing for them for depth and for uh, playoff uh, versatility. No, that, that's fair. I think we're going to jump onto the Nets a bit more when we when we talk more specifically about uh, buyouts shortly. So let's get your uh, worst trade of the deadline, Josh. Um, it's a weird one, isn't it? Because I'm going to give it as my worst, but I'm flip-flopping constantly on it. Uh, and that's the unnecessary departure of Daniel Tice in Boston. Um, I felt as though it was a bit of a nothing trade for Boston. Um, they were losing like a really serviceable big who ran the floor really well. And I would say is one of the best European players in the league. Um, but I tell you what, I think I've been kind of semi proven wrong, hopefully um, because I always liked Mo Wagner, but I knew that he kind of wouldn't probably be better than Daniel Tice. He just offers some like necessary energy and youth. Um, but since the play of uh, Luke Cornett, a.k.a. Uncle Luke, a.k.a. the Green Cornet, um, I, I've changed my mind. So I'm, I, I've given you Daniel Tice and I've immediately flip-flopped on it. Are you excited at the prospect of uh, Wagner basically being used to, to bait Yanis into another headbutt in a playoff series? I am extremely excited about it. I said this um, in a conversation the, kind of immediately after that, after the trade-in, kind of the whole of the Celtics timeline seemed to be shitting on uh, Wagner. 
uh, and saying it was a bad move, they didn't like him. I think largely that's because he does have one of those faces. Um, <laughs> but he's an irritant, and I love irritants being on my team. If you look at what Marcus Smart does for the team, obviously Mo Wagner isn't Marcus Smart. Um, but if he's going to get under the skin, the skin of the likes of Joel Embiid uh, when necessary, then albeit, uh, you know, I'm happy to see it. Nick, worst trade for you? For me, it's not necessarily, I'm saying the Houston Rockets, and it's not necessarily the individual transaction. It's the symbolism of, it feels like they effectively lost James Harden, one of the premier talents in the league for not very much when you look at it now. They had an opportunity to get Ben Simmons in exchange, had an opportunity to have players like Karis LeVert or Jarrett Allen, uh, in addition to assets like draft picks and stuff. And they've ended up with like not very much at all. So if it feels like a, a, I'd feel lower if I was a Rockets fan than if I was a Magic fan, for example. I feel like the Magic have like a fresh start. The Rockets are kind of playing with the relics of the team they built around James Harden without that the requisite talent level to make that work in any significant way. So yeah, low point for the Rockets, I think. Yeah, I had them down as one of my biggest losers, but the the, the worst trade I'm going for was uh, between the Kings and the Pistons. Delon Wright for Corey Joseph, a 2021 second round pick and a 2024 second round pick. I don't know what needle that's moving. Like other, other than the fact that the Pistons are gambling on the Kings getting even worse. I add to that the, the Knicks uh, trading uh, Austin Rivers and essentially uh, receiving Terrence Ferguson in exchange, who we then just waived. Yeah. <laughs> just anything um, to get rid of Austin Rivers, apparently. Uh, anything else you want to cover on the trade deadline before we move on at all? Yeah, I had a uh, loser, and that was the Los Angeles Lakers. I think that any chance that you have to combine a kind of hopefully healthy LeBron and AD with Kyle Lowry, you take it. Um, it seems as though the sticking point may have been Taylor Horton Tucker, who has a lot of promise. But if you're basing your success at the moment on the timeline of LeBron James, then the development of Taylor Horton Tucker shouldn't be your priority and you shouldn't be getting in the way of the chance of kind of uh, repeating with Kyle Lowry because we know that he's a proven winner. And if you could combine him as part of that big three, if they were healthy, would probably be phenomenal and probably would be my title favourite once again. It sort of kind of makes me feel as though actually... Uh, the organisation might know a little bit more than we do about the Stars' injuries. But that's me being kind of a tinfoil hat kind of fella. I, the thing I find interesting in Los Angeles, uh, and I mean the Lakers when I say that, is um, they have a rotation in the big position now of Marc Gasol, Montrez Harrell and uh, Andre Drummond who all kind of have fatal flaws to make. If you combine those into one player, they'd be an incredible player. But Mark Gasol at this stage of his career is not the quickest guy. Uh, in he any, never was. No, but like even more so now. You have uh, Andre Drummond, who is like a Shaq-esque free throw shooter. So keeping him on the oh, floor I'm, late I'm glad in games. that was the comparison. Sorry, I'm it, glad that was going. I wondered where you were going with that. I shivered a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, Shaq-esque? Oh, okay, yeah, no, fair, fair. 
Um, for his other talents, I mean, I'm not going to say Andre Drummond's a bad player. He's not a bad player, but he does have that fatal flaw as a key rotation player. Montres Harrell is a incredibly bad defensive player. So for, again, for what he does offer on the offensive side, he's not the best defender either. So they feel like they may, having acquired Andre Drummond, which feels like a big win on paper, their best lineups are probably still going to be with Anthony Davis at the five. So they now have three kind of key cogs there in their front court that probably won't be in their best lineups. Yeah, and the the really interesting thing I've been seeing over the last day or so is that people have been comparing the Drummond move to the Dwight Howard move. And the only logic I see between those two is that they're both big people in quite different ways. Dwight Howard's worlds more athletic than him. Um, and the and, and the other difference is that they're both kind of at this point in their career, they've become specialists. But the thing is, they've become different specialists. They're, they're specialists in different areas. I don't think that you're offered the defense that maybe you would have got or the ability to disturb people on the defensive end in the way that Dwight Howard did when it mattered in the postseason last year um, from Andre Drummond. Of course, he's an incredible rebounder, um, but he's an offensive. Sometimes he's an offensive, but he's detrimental to the team. Um, so I, I really don't see the correlation people have been drawing there uh, rather than they're just kind of big guys who have high profiles. Poor free throaters, past their peaks, uh, physical players, and that's about it for me. Um, just I- before we move on, Josh, I'm curious what we haven't talked about the Celtics acquiring Fournier. I'm curious what your thoughts are there. I really like it. Um, some, some offensive uh, depth. They've been kind of struggling at times when going to the second unit this year. Um, and actually, even on the first unit, when they've needed someone that, you know, once teams kind of started focusing on the Jays and Kemba's not hot because Kemba is obviously a guy who relies heavily on having a hot hand. We really, really craved a guy who's kind of more controlled on the offensive end. I think Evan, he, he's able to offer that. Um, he has some depth for basically, what, two second rounders. I thought it was a fantastic trade, and I think that uh, Boston got a little bit better. They didn't, they didn't transform in the way that a lot of Boston fans were hoping at the trade deadline, uh, but they got better. Yeah, I, I, to be honest, two, for, two second round picks is a bit of a steal. Like, I, I get why, and I, I guess the reaction on Twitter was similar. You know, especially for Magic fans, it's like, well, a week ago he's a washed vet, and now he's he's a value, and it's like, well, hold on, a week ago you were trying to take Marcus Smart for him and I'd much rather give up two second round picks than Marcus Smart for, yeah. for a guy of Fournier's uh, abilities um, I wanted to talk about buyouts for for a minute uh, we seem to have already jumped the gun a little bit because we've, we've already gone through the Nets and the Lakers but we can sort of touch back on them briefly um, but the buyout season has just been absolutely on fire the past few days it seems like it's been much more rabid than uh, in years past after the trade deadline. there seems to at least be a bit of breathing space but all of a sudden now we've got you know Marcus Aldridge is a net. Uh, Drummond is a Laker. Um, Georgie Jeng to the Spurs. Austin Rue is potentially in Milwaukee. Um, I just wanted to know from you guys, like realistically, are any of these guys needle movers? Because even if you look at the Nets, the situation they're in, yes, the names carry weight. Yes, they are vets. But if they moved needles, they would not be buyouts. And it's kind of to me as well, you know, we keep hearing this, that contract's untradeable. Uh, 
you know, on nothing, no, sorry, no contract is untradeable. Bullshit. Here we go. Drummond's contract was untradeable. Blake's contract was untradeable. Marcus Aldridge, who wasn't on anywhere near as big of a contract as those two, his contract was untradeable because they are players of a certain ilk where their roles have become so much maligned by the current NBA and the style of play that they are literally supporting cast now. For They've gone from stars. Like two, two years ago, 2019, Aldridge was an all-star. Blake Griffin was an all-star. And now they are buyouts. Um, I personally think that the the needle has been moved in Brooklyn a little bit. Obviously, they were a contender already. Uh, offensively, they've got an accumulation of talent that we haven't seen before. Um, I think it's, if you're going by the kind of um, death by numbers uh, approach, I think that Aldridge really was kind of the last straw, um, which is why you would have seen me getting in my feelings on Twitter. Um, and I think that, Having him as your, you know, him and Blake. Okay, so a lot of people have been talking on Twitter about how the timeline were kind of exaggerating the signing of Aldridge and to a lesser extent Blake um, because they're not stars anymore. Uh, But I don't think that people thought that. I think that people were starting to react like that because I think having that level of talent, even years after their prime as your fifth or sixth option on offense, is crazy. It really is the rich getting richer, and I'm uh, happy for a small handful of Nets fans who have basically become the most win-now team you can think of. I know times have changed, but I don't remember anyone getting this excited about Robert Parrish joining the Bulls back in the 90s. Uh, what about... I was he was ask, basically... Wasn't he like 42? Yeah. <laughs> I was going to ask you about... Like, played one game or something stupid. I was going to ask you about something similar, um, and I apologise for this because it seems barbed, but you guys are a few years older than me. Not, you know, not oh, a great, my goodness. Not, not a great deal of years older than me. Um, but in the moment, sorry if you're... Sorry, you can just say, look, I was five years old or whatever, but... Um, how do the signings of Blake and Aldridge correlate with the kind of Horry and Peyton uh, Lakers acquisitions? I think you mean Carl Malone. Sorry, Carl Malone, not Horry. Yeah, Carl yeah, yeah. Malone and Peyton. Yeah, um, sorry. Well, they, they were signing the off-season versus buyouts. Uh, I've got it. Carl Malone was a free agent, I believe, and he basically was just ring-chasing at that point. Same for Peyton, I guess. I can't remember. I can't remember if that was a free agency signing or a trade. Um, but they were immediately tipped to win the title. And to be fair to them until... Oh, Christ, I am old. Um, <laughs> and to be fair to them, until Carmelo got injured, they were on pace to be, you know, the NBA champions. And it took mm-hmm. a team of, at that time, uh, relative non-stars. Like Even like everyone remembers Chauncey Billups as being this fantastic clutch player. But actually, he bounced around a few teams early in his career, like kind of like Carl Lowry did before he really found his footing and, and developed into an all-star. Um, Rip Hamilton was on the up. Rashid Wallace was, you know, he 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 was traded the year. No, it wasn't even the year before. He was traded that season from Portland to Atlanta. Played? Did he play one game for Atlanta and then was traded again? Um, and, you know, and Ben Wallace was a, a reclamation project from. What was he? An undrafted player went to Orlando for, yeah. Wow, well, I'm old. So like the, the Lakers were heavy favourites. Super teams don't necessarily do well, and we're going to get onto that in a in a minute as well. Uh, but I've just gone really far down a, a rabbit hole. Uh, Nick, did you have anything on the Malone uh, Payton and how that was received? Yeah, I think the biggest difference is digital culture is like night and day since then. So 
I feel like the sentiment was the same, but people didn't have the same public forum like Twitter, for example, to express that feeling. So you didn't have <laughs> just the have same... to shout at teletext. Exactly. <laughs> shout at your slam magazine, that how unfair it all was. Um, but the, the other one, and we were talking about it in Discord, is the um, combination of Barkley and Pippin signing with the Rockets mm-hmm. to match with Olajuwon as well, who... I think that was a similar scenario where um, you started to see guys getting hungrier for rings. But the key difference, I'd say, though, compared to these teams with those teams is the Brooklyn Nets are already an incredible basketball Mm -hmm. team. And you're adding the veterans to that already good team. Those teams were kind of picking up those guys on like decent money still. So they were, and Carl Malone, to be fair to him, was like LeBron James. He was still incredible late into his 30s. Um, Peyton was a little bit more washed at that point for the Lakers. But those guys were expected to be major contributors in comparison. They were starters in comparison to like mm-hmm. when you look at what the Nets are doing, they're adding guys the caliber of Blake Griffin and LaMarcus Aldridge to be bit part and situational contributors. That's the key difference, I think. I guess another difference, obviously, is that neither Aldridge or Blake Griffin are Carmelo. <laughs> yeah, I don't think anyone other you than Carmelo is is quite <laughs> Carmelo. Like that guy's a unique character. Um, but let's let's stay on. We'll come back to the uh, the question we had on on buyouts. But let's let's stay on this because again, we see we're talking about the digital culture. The reaction to to the Nets picking up. Uh, you know, Blake Griffin and then Lamarcus Aldrich was all, you know, and I get that it's because ninety percent of I say ninety percent, the, the majority of people on Twitter aren't Nets fans. They are they are fans of other teams, so they are outraged that the these these guys are getting better and they're not. And there's you know, I saw something about I've seen several tweets about how parity is dead in the NBA. Like you know, this this has ruined the league. That's absolute. Crap! Because all the way through the the history of the NBA, it's been a case of there being zero parity. That's why you've got two teams that have won seventeen championships, and then the next highest are two teams with six. That's why of all the championships in NBA history, forty six percent of them lie with two teams. It, the the, the parity there is teams? no such thing. Which teams? I don't know. Yeah. Some some team in Massachusetts and uh, who haven't won anything since two thousand and eight. And then hadn't won anything since 80, 88? Yeah, well, we were concentrating on what they have won. Oh, sorry, yeah, okay. Um, and then won most of their things before there was a three-point line and the key and colour TV. Um, <laughs> sorry, you've got, you've, got, you've got me doing my Boston knife twisting now. Um, so, yeah. I, I liked the Rick Pitino years. Those are my favourites. Larry Bird's yeah. not working through, walking through this door. Yeah. <laughs> um, so like, it's it's bizarre because people have such short memories. Like people are saying, "Oh, there was a lot more parity last year." Um, well, last year was a complete mess because of COVID, and then the year before that, we've just come off five years of the Warriors are the greatest team ever. They somehow won seventy three wins, picked up Kevin Durant, and let's be realistic. Much respect to the Raptors. If that Warriors team is healthy, that is not the way that finals goes. Um, I just find it absurd. Like we've we've seen. You mentioned it earlier about big markets. That's still the thing. Kurt Goldsbury tweeted the other week that 17 all current active players who have been all NBA 
nine of them reside in either New York or Los Angeles. So the draw is still there. And I know that includes guys like Derek Rose. But yeah. it's just the idea that parity exists in the NBA is completely false and it has ever existed. I think the closest thing we got was in the 70s, which I definitely don't remember. Don't even start with me on that. <laughs> um, when nine different teams won the title in that decade. Mm. So I just wondered if you guys agreed, like the, the, this idea that the Nets have ruined basketball is is, is bollocks, basically. And um, I'm swearing a lot on this pod, so I apologise. Um, yeah. And I just wondered if you guys had any ideas as to how we could establish a greater level of parity. Because to me, it feels like a bit like democracy, where it's a, an ideology that you can always push towards but never achieve. But the 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 problem is, and um, in a way, I think it's difficult to be kind of pro player empowerment, especially when you know that we would be probably likely if we had all that money to want to live in New York or LA as human beings. Um, and I'm standing sorry, mate. <laughs> if, if you are, you know, which I am, I'm pro player empowerment. Um, it's really then difficult to, without being completely hypocritical, to be upset when these guys do cheese. Cheese? Do guys, these guys do choose the seemingly easier route to kind of contention and they want to live in a nice city. That being said, I also agree that around a year ago, the league really did seem to have quite an exciting level of um, parity. Um, a number of teams did have star duos with KD and Kyrie, LeBron, AD, Murray, Jokic, uh, Simmons, Embiid, and Tatum and Brown, Mitchell and Gobert, I guess, even though it wasn't so good last year. But it started to creep in, that idea of parity. But the idea that it's, you know, it's ruined the league, you can't say that because it's no one's fault but these guys who are empowered to make their own decisions. I don't think that we can ha- we can say the same parity exists now, but I do think it creates a slightly less exciting league, in my personal opinion. I disagree that they've ruined the league because they haven't broken any rules. I just think it's unfortunate and boring. See, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, I, I can see uh, both sides to this in terms of I can see why people get upset. And like we were comparing this Nets team to like the old Lakers or the old Houston Rockets and stuff. The The closest thing actually, I think, is Durant joining Golden State um, and that kind of tipping the balance of sentiment from positive to negative towards Warriors generally and the Warriors blew a 3-1 lead thing becoming a meme and all that sort of stuff. And I, I think it stems from a place where fans either neutral or other teams, they want winning a championship to be this kind of Herculean feat where players take their game to a new level and stuff. What is a less compelling narrative is uh, three of the, or four or more, whoever many of the best players in the league just conspire together to play on the same team. And then unsurprisingly, they win because they're the best team that doesn't shock anyone. In comparison to say like a, a less um, uh, planned way to a championship, for example, like let's say Dirk in Dallas, for example, where it was a much more kind of organic team building um, journey. And similarly, people who follow that line of thinking will be like, well, what if Michael Jordan had come into the league and Larry Bird, Magic Johnson and, and MJ just chose to play for the same team instead of competing against each other. It would have taken away from what made the league great in the first place. 
So I, I can see why people follow that line of argument, but the reality is no rules have been broken. This is the NBA we exist in. We've just had a Golden State super team. We now have a Brooklyn super team. And I'm kind of a bit like Josh. Like I, I don't have anything against either of these franchises in general. I just find the league a little bit less interesting when one team dominates as like we don't know that with Brooklyn, we we have to wait and no. see, obviously. But if we have like three or four in a row, say where Brooklyn wins, I just find the league a bit less interesting when you know ahead of time who's going to win. Yeah. And that's 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 an excellent point. We've had a, a great comment as well in the chat um, from UK Nets fan. Maybe digital culture is essentially saying if you don't win a ring, your rubbish contributes to it. And there is that sort of you know it goes beyond the digital culture for, for years. Like we look back at players and we judge them on how many rings they've won. That's why Barclays considered to just be a, a, a fact you know, pundit now, and no one remembers what a beast he was. And yeah. Or Ewing in uh, the Knicks case. Yeah, and, and, and Shaq's argument back is always about rings. And okay, well, great. But, you know, realistically, Kobe was an absolutely huge part of that. And it wasn't until um, Barkley was sort of past it that he got anyone near Kobe's level of, of overall talent. And I'm talking like Hakeem here, like a Hall of Famer. Like he still took the Phoenix Suns to the finals. Um, and then there was another point you made, which I, th- I thought was excellent. Um, and I can't remember it now. So that's really good of me. Um, but it, it just, it just, there has to be some middle ground. And mm. we talk about, you know, these teams dominating. Let's talk about the, the Warriors. Well, how many rings did they win in their period of domination? They won one, lost one, won two, lost one. So yeah. does that then make beating the super team more of an achievement? And you mentioned the Mavericks, and that's a, a particular one. Like Bill Simmons' book, he talks about putting value on titles and the value of going against the the uh, the Heatles and beating them in the finals gives his you know uh, gives his title extra weight. Even though he had Jason Kidd, Hall of Famer, one of the greatest point guards of all time, Sean Marion, people like that. Even though he himself had a roster that was pretty darn good mm-hmm. so so is there <laughs> just to uh i'm sorry mike to do this but to put it in yeah, football ranting. terms um, oh, i know no, you don't. hate when we talk about football but in just because i think that sport has a greater uh th- this has gone on longer where some teams for financial reasons without a salary cap and stuff are just always going to be better than others the so traditional Le- top four top six so leicester winning the premier league for example is was so unlikely in a lot of ways it means more than manchester city who just have the best talent in the league in general apart from liverpool i'll give you that josh um but they just have unlimited resources to consistently have some of the best talent in the league when they win no one's surprised when they win. So it almost it's almost as though it means less in some way. And that's and I'm not saying I even believe that necessarily, but that's the line of thinking that happens in the NBA now where even though you have a salary cap, it can feel unfair to a lot of people looking on. Yeah, and you need a you need a good villain, as you said, Mike. Um, and to continue the football thread. Um, this kind of the last three days have been kind of uh, the fan in me has been kind of bubbling over and I've been a walking Kevin Keegan meme um, where he's saying, I that would I love it if we beat them. Um, another thing I wanted to point out is that some people have been kind of um, le- like kind of LeBron hardcores have been upset about the Brooklyn thing. Um, but let's not forget that the entire, entire career uh, path up until he came to a bad LA team has been based solely on combining with the best players 
Um, he, he did kind of, we all kind of romanticised his return to Cleveland, but he was moving to a better basketball situation at that point uh, with the declining Chris Bosch. He could join Kevin Love and Kyrie Irving in Cleveland. And that's ultimately why he went there. So let's not be saying, you know, um, positioning LeBron as this kind of um, David in against the Brooklyn Goliath. I think that's a good point. And people forget um, because Chris, Bo- Chris Bosch accepted a diminished role on that Miami Heat team that he was one, considered like one of the premier front court players in the NBA at the point he joined with Miami. Yeah. Um, and same with Cleveland. He, he signed a, like Kevin Love, who was a 20 and 20 machine at that point, just because he, that wasn't his role with the Cleveland Cavaliers. He, he was playing with a team he was almost hand-picking. So yeah, the, the, exactly the same logic being applied to Brooklyn has applied to LeBron for a significant part of his career too, for sure. I'd yeah, extend it to that. Go, sorry, go ahead. He wasn't returning back to Cleveland if they still had Anton Jameson at four, is what you say? Yeah, he, he's. this is the thing. He's so shrewd. He, he teamed up with all superstars in Miami. He then knew there was already a star in Kyrie who, they, who the Cavs picked up because they were decimated after he left the first time. They then had two other number one picks in Bennett and Wiggins that were traded to Minnesota for love. So he's then created his another big three there. And I think he even just pushed the boat out further this time when he went to LA. He saw all those youngsters and knew there was an asset that they could go out and get with that. And that's how he ended up with AD. He's just, yeah. he's just playing chess while we're all playing checkers. Um, yeah. Let's, let's move on. Uh, Cause we're, we're going to run along again at this rate, um, which is always good. Cause I like talking hoops. Um, Greg Popovich's latest milestone. He hit 1,300 wins uh, on Saturday night and uh, is now third all time. Uh, well, he was third all time anyway, but he's, he's the third coach to hit that 1300 mark. He trails Don Nelson and Lenny Wilkins um, by 35 games uh, is where he trails uh, Nelson. That will put him number one. He could probably, well, he will do that next year, assuming some San Antonio fallout doesn't happen. Um, that's an incredible achievement to do it with a single franchise as well. Do you think there's any risk he doesn't come back next year? Because he's not that fussed by awards and things like that. And we talked about the Olympics perhaps he being his, you know, his his curtain call. Any risk he doesn't come back and, and pick up that number one spot next season? I, I've been thinking that he's going to retire for the last three years. As soon as the Spurs reached that point, well, as soon as the stars left, the 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 legends, uh, I thought that that was probably when Pop would give it a go because he wouldn't want to kind of rebuild with the Spurs team. Um, but I think it's so tantalisingly close um, to a really amazing milestone. I mean, it's already an amazing milestone to get where he has got. Um, but I think that his character, as we see from his um, post-game or mid-game interviews, uh, his kind of trademark thing is to do what he needs to do and get out there abruptly. Uh, so I think he's going to... I would love it if he got to kind of one win over the record and then just retired on the spot. <laughs> just walked out of the, the media afterwards, media call. Yeah. <laughs> Nick, uh, your thoughts on the achievement? What an incredible coach he's been over his career. Um, and one of the most uh, versatile as well in terms of how he's changed with the times in the NBA, but also the personnel he's had on his team winning championships with like a twin towers set up when they had Duncan and Robinson to a much more perimeter focused uh, set up in the later years with Parker and Ginobili, obviously and Kawhi. Um, so 
it would be a very fitting achievement if he were to take the record next season. But I feel like Popovich is the sort of person where if he looked at in the offseason as if the only reason he was coaching was to break that record, I feel like he wouldn't see value in that and he would retire. If he still feels like he has something to give with the Spurs in terms of steering the rebuild that they're currently on and feels like, I feel like that would decide his view more uh, because Popovich won't place any value on this record at all. I don't think he'll make a joke about, Oh, it's just because I'm really old, that sort of thing. Uh, But yeah, what it would be incredibly fitting if he did take the record. And Mm. and, And the record, the race to the record is also running parallel with, his ambition to own the most bottles of wine in the world. So, yeah, I think he's more motivated by that one. Oh, man. Uh, yeah, so shout out to Popovich. Uh, the coach goat. I think that's that's all we can say on that. Uh, so let's move on uh, to our weekly staple, to which I'll hand over to our resident New York Nick. Uh, Kirk, do you want to drop that intro? Nothing but Nick's silly nonsense. Okay, here we go. As lockdown restrictions in the UK start to lessen and many of us start to look forward optimistically, one of the key things many people will be looking forward to is a nice holiday, not Drew, an actual holiday. My question is, were there no geographic restrictions? Which team would you send on a nice holiday? Why are you picking them and where are you sending them? I'll go first. So upon the formation of Boston's big three to go back to super teams. Um, the formation of the Boston big three in 07, Kevin Garnett cited a trip to Milan as a place where kind of team chemistry truly came together because they were forced to stick together outside of their comfort zone and a bond was built. So along those lines, I wanted to choose a team with star players who have an outside chance of contending. Uh, should they be able to build an unbreakable chemistry So I'd choose the Denver Nuggets and I'd take them specifically to Milan in the hope that the same um, aura is transmitted to them. Uh, But I also recognise that this is meant to be silly nonsense. Uh, So I'd get both the Brooklyn Nets and the Los Angeles Lakers and send them to the moon on a one-way ticket. That's that's interesting that you've done that because we've had the UK Nets uh, say they're going to send the Knicks to the centre of the sun. So, (laughs) So... They are the uh, centre of the universe, after all, so... Oh, wow. Quick from Nick. Um, I really struggled with this, and I know it's Nick's silly nonsense, but I was just like, ah, oh, this is quite a quite a normal question for, from Nick. <laughs> I wasn't sure it was quite as silly as it had been in previous weeks. Um, and I, I just must thought, try harder. Yeah, just mailed it in. <laughs> um, I just thought that Minnesota, those guys need a break. And that, like, it became quite sad. And maybe it's because I was just exhausted myself from basically what's been about 24 hours of rage about parity in the NBA because I found myself going down all kinds of rabbit holes, as I tend to do in my free time. Um, but those guys just need a break. And then I thought maybe maybe send them to somewhere like Hawaii where they can relax. They're on an island. They're away from several distractions. And then I thought, you know what the Lakers used to do? Um, preseason camps out there where they used to Pat Riley used to run people until they threw up uh, so maybe we don't go that extreme but we put Cat through some kind of leadership course whilst he's there just to try and just to try and help them you know actually develop some kind of identity to to, to sort of progress with I'm nice. imagining the most irritating corporate leadership course <laughs> ever where he's just yeah. in like a function room of a travel lodge in with, with someone like David Michael Brent. Scott. 
Yeah, yeah, David Bruyne. Yeah. Yeah. Where he plays simply the best. Yeah. Come on. Who turned that off? Uh, okay, Nick, I, I picked uh, three for this. My first one is um, after it appears the Dallas Mavericks are going, Mark Cuban is trying to acquire every European player in the NBA to put on one roster. Uh, I'm going to send the Dallas Mavericks cross-railing around Europe. I just feel like punctuated by Luka Doncic's cheeky smile, it would just be a, a wonderful experience for them. Um, I also, I'm going to send OKC backpacking in Thailand, in Thailand, so they can uh, essentially just mingle with their own age bracket. <laughs> and the last one, I'm sending the Rockets to Peru for a, uh, a potent ayahuasca experience for them to find out what it all means, man, and real, <laughs> really find themselves because they're, they're in a mess right now. Because they've got a long journey ahead of them. Mm. That's uh, that's incredible. You you didn't mail it in at all. I just <laughs> t- provided a crap answer. Let's put it that way. Uh, that's way more creative than I got. Um, talking D, uh, our discourse on Discord. Uh, come and join the Discord community. Discord.me/slash double clutch. Uh, we've had lots of trade line, uh, trade line, trade deadline chatter, uh, super team chatter. Kicks and Clothes channel is popping at the minute and the WNBA uh, channel starting to move again now with the season quickly approaching. Um, several listener questions in there to rattle through. Um, we'll start with, I'm going to do them all. We're going to run along because uh, you deserve it. You you, sp- you take the time to type out less than 200 characters, then you deserve to, to get a mention on the show. Uh, so, Elliot, uh, what's the biggest disadvantage in basketball? Is it being short or having small hands? That means you can't grip the board in one hand. Asking for a mate. You'll notice that the questions this week are all a bit weird. Um, no idea why. Uh, but what, what's worse, short hand, short or small hands? Although, don't they go? You know, no, no, I'm not going to drop the pun because that was already done. But don't they? Don't they go together? I, I was thinking about this. Uh, l- luckily, I'm not kind of hindered by either of those. Uh, I'm hindered by kind of being slow and having a bad back and knees, um, but neither of those. Um, and I went for it's definitely more of a disadvantage to be short. Um, uh, if you think about kind of ha- having not being able to palm the ball, you know, it's not great. I guess you, you have a kind of superior handle if you can do that. But so many guys have tiny hands and are great shooters. Of one of the best in the league of the last decade has Jeremy Beadle famously. Yeah, Jeremy Beadle. <laughs> Jeremy Beadle, one of the best NBA shooters of the last decade. And he has notoriously small hands and he can he can really let it let it rain. Wasn't mm. it just one hand of his was small? Uh yeah, I think it was just actually um disfigured. So let's not go down that route because okay. yeah, let's let's, let's leave it whilst it's still comedic. Um Nick <laughs> Well, I believe uh, Skilo said it best when he said, I wish I was a little bit taller. He didn't say, I wish I had bigger hands. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's fair. I, Next. I, I've, I've gone with height because you, you can't teach height. So if you're short, you're done, basically. Um, another question. You can't teach big hands. Can you? You, you can't teach big <laughs> hands. Well, no, to, to the point you're making, you don't need big hands to be able to shoot the ball. In fact, conversely, if your hands are too big, that's the biggest. That's the reason Shaq blamed being unable to shoot free throws. Yeah, and you can see it on um, Giannis. Looks really awkward when it leaves his hand. Yeah, yeah, true. Um, another question from from Elliot. Having been uh, and this one, 
vexed me for a while, having been utterly confused as to why the Brooklyn Nets last night were getting a lot of heat about their dealings with the League Managers Association, in brackets LMA. Which players would you like to see associated with what governing bodies based on their initials? I thought that was quite hard. Couldn't find any governing bodies to match what I wanted, so I've I've just messed around with mine. But uh, Nick, you got any governing bodies that match... (laughs) I interpreted it governing bodies quite loosely, but I've gone for worldwide Wes, and I have him as two things: one as a grandiose overlord of the World Wide Web, uh, for one, which I think would be fun, and the other one is changing his name to Worldwide Ernie and having full control of the WWE and access to their superstars to recruit for the New York Knicks. I, I, World Wide Wes, he's the internet. Um, let's, on that on that bombshell, um, turn the lights off. We're done. Yeah, it's done. <laughs> uh, my my my, I like initialisms. Anyone who's in our Slack chat uh, and Discord chats knows that I just use a ridiculous amount of initialisms all the time. My my day job has the initialisms NBA and BBL, which just fills me with disappointment every couple of hours when I see it pop up and it's not what I'm hoping for. Um, I've gone with, imagine if Andre Miller, who was ageless, um, played for the Nuggets still and came off the bench on a second unit with Paul Millsap and you could just have a lob pass from AM to PM and just drop a Christina Millian song as you know in the in arena at the same time. Uh, so that's, <laughs> and then I also went with BJ Armstrong, BA, Strengthen his connection with Sky, um, and talk about British Airways. So they, they were my two suggestions, and clearly I had too much time for that one. Um, Matt, Suns Fans UK, court size has just come up in the Trash Talk channel on our Discord, uh, and because the Hornets used to have it, um, why in the late eighties and early nineties did some teams have the FIBA three point line as well as the NBA line on a court? Uh, Nick, do you want to hit this one? Yeah, so I I don't actually know if this is the answer, but what I think is the case is that for technology reasons and the like the way they put the floors together, they were a lot more annoying to replace constantly. And in some arenas, you would have multiple games being played on the same floor. So like college games and NBA games, for example. So they would just with the three point line being the only one different between those games, they would just leave both lines on. So like um, Madison square garden, for example, would have big college tournaments there and stuff. So that is, and and now it's easy for them to just rip the floor up and put it down again in the space of a few hours. So that's what I think the answer is. I don't don't know that for a fact. I I came to a similar conclusion uh, because it's the college line, obviously in things when you watch the the preseason Old games they used to play. Uh, sorry, like the nineties preseason games. Uh, I remember. The, remember the sick Kobe dunk over Ben Wallace that was on a court with two three point lines. Um, and yeah, it's got to be because there weren't enough courts, and now they just have. Well, how many courts do they have in a season now? Like at least four for each different mm. theme night they've got going on. Um, anything jump out at you on that one at all, Josh? No. No, <laughs> fair enough. Um, okay, so uh, Rich Fang, going on the success of The Last Dance, it's inevitable that ESPN will more than likely make similar documentaries. If you had to name a time, person, team, you'd want to have a Last Dance-esque documentary about what would it be and why. For him, he'd love uh, to look at Kobe Bryant's legacy with the Lakers, the 3-1 win over the Warriors, and what about the 60s era of basketball with Russell and Chamberlain? Um, I would actually love to see the um, original kind of uh, three 
man core of James Harden, Russell Westbrook, and KD. Um, it feels as though they didn't, obviously, you know, they were all very young, but they didn't reach the level that we'd hoped. They didn't, obviously, they had very stiff competition uh, in Miami and San Antonio. Um, but I just think that it kind of would have been really interesting to see those characters as they were establishing their roles in the NBA um, go through kind of quite significant challenges in the league. Uh, and I would just love to see kind of a year long fly in the wall documentary of how that all worked out and who was the kind of alpha because obviously so many years removed now we know these guys as kind of different guys to what we thought initially um we KD was obviously their best player but we've come to realize that he wants to call himself the servant for some reason and and James Harden was accepting a lesser role at that point and now look at where he is being the best player for this Brooklyn team um so I would have just loved to see kind of them guys as they kind of found themselves uh, much like Nick's suggestion of ayahuasca. <laughs> what have you got then, Nick? So I, I kind of went with just like what I would personally like to watch. Um, so I've gone with Patrick Ewing because I think, and I kind of alluded to it earlier already, where I feel like he's quite um, misremembered as a player. And I don't think a lot of people um know what an interesting life he's had in terms of um uh going from Jamaica in his early life to Massachusetts uh becoming one of the most dominant college players of all time um entering the NBA and looking similarly dominant and a lot what a lot of people don't realize is how hobbled he was by injuries actually quite early in his career he was still good enough where he was still kind of all-star level but he was never quite uh, the same physical player he was. And you really see that if you watch early Ewing compared to even mid-career Ewing, he moves in a completely different way based on his lower limbs, which were just like shot to pieces by like year three in the NBA. Um, obviously, he, he got to the finals twice, ultimately failed, um, didn't really play with any incredibly talented offensive players in his prime. Uh, the 99 finals team was probably about as talented as it got. And he, uh, again, got injured that one season where he came back for the finals, having broken his wrist and torn the ligaments in it. Uh, obviously didn't look like himself. Uh, the Knicks then unbelievably for their greatest ever player, trade him for Travis Knight, Glenn Rice, and a 2001 uh, first round pick that became Jamal Tinsley, none of whom uh, notable Knicks players in any way. And that re uh, finishing his career in Seattle and then Orlando, um, it really kind of set the tone for the Knicks becoming what they did until uh, the Carmelo Anthony years where they added some relevance again. So yeah, I, I think it's a really interesting story, not really known very much outside of Nick's fandom. Did, did the, uh, the breakdown of his body occur before or after he started wearing his own brand shoes? <laughs> That's an interesting question. I don't actually know. I have uh, one more, Mike. Um, yep. that just kind of sprung to mind and he's previously come up in podcasts uh, and I think it kind of falls in line with a lot of the public's obsession with crime documentaries. I'd love to see an in-depth um, deep dive on the life of Bison Della. I knew you were going there as soon as you started <laughs> talking about crime. Yeah, okay. Uh, yeah, people Google that. Um, or I, uh, the next Jason Williams as well. Yeah. yeah. Another bizarre case. Uh 
I think there is going to be one for Kobe's last season. I know there was, well, there's certainly rumours that he was being followed around by camera crews constantly, NBA TV. So I think we will see one at some point come out about his last mm-hmm. season, which would be, I mean, it'd be better if it wasn't his last season, but um, still, I think it'd be an epic documentary. I'd like to see them spin it more away from the last dance style, though, uh, to like, you know, the uh, hard knocks NFL films or the all or nothing. I'd like to see that. And mostly I'd like to see a 24 hour like not, not filmed like they're filmed 24 hours the players so you get to see what they do they get up when they when they eat when they work out everything like that and you do it with a superstar you do it with a role player and you do it with the guys at the end of the bench just to see how differently their lives are i think that would be quite an interesting um experiment um we had one more question which we'll squeeze in uh it was on the buyouts it was from sun's uh sun's fans uk i'm just trying to look for it now uh matt uh, predict some surprise buyouts, so players who are not being spoken about in the media, but you think could get bought out. Uh, any guys jump out to you? Well, the, he's being spoke about on the me- in the media, and up until yesterday, I thought there was a large chance that Al Horford was going to get be- get bought out. Um, but they've come to come some kind of pretty kind of strange, and for some reason, it just doesn't sit right with me their agreement, him and Presti have come to where he's just going to sit. They're going to get purposefully worse um, in his absence and he's going to collect his check. Um, So that was where I was sitting, but of course that's changed over the last 24 hours. It seems weird as well for a team with 34 coming draft picks, most of whom aren't their own in the next seven years, why do they need to be as bad as possible this year? It kind of it doesn't make a huge amount of sense, really. Other than obviously they want to play the young guys uh, and give them minutes and not feel like Al Horford has to travel along with them as their dad. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I, it it doesn't look good for the league. It yeah. just being quite an openly mm-hmm. accepted thing that a healthy player who's their most experienced player just. Told to stay at home. G- given the retaliation to resting as well. Mm. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, he's getting paid a lot of money, but it is going to hurt his stock. I don't know how much longer he's going to be in this league. Uh, but he's sitting down and watching his team play whilst they purposefully try and get worse, um, where, he, as, where he could be playing elsewhere. Uh, he's a really, really good basketball player. He's shown that this year. Um, and it's just, where else in the world do we reward people for being bad to the point where they're leaving their best player out. It's just, it really, it's another thing that, uh, as well as the uh, the uh, front runners of, in Brooklyn kind of really pissed me off over the last couple of days. <laughs> Nick, surprise buyout. So I have three based on the logic that buyout guys are normally experienced players on bad teams who it doesn't, make sense for either side for them to be there anymore. Uh, and so one, and this is the, the, would be the most surprising, probably Ricky Rubio in Minnesota doesn't feel like it just feels like what's the point of Ricky Rubio being there. Um, it doesn't feel like they're getting the best out of him. It feels pointless from his career perspective. So that wouldn't shock me. And he would help another team. Um, so I, I had Rubio from Minnesota. I have, uh, Avery Bradley, who got moved mm-hmm. to Houston uh, in the uh, at the deadline, and again, an experienced wing defender shooter. It, it just doesn't really make sense for what they're doing now. Um, 
And the last one is Wayne Ellington in Detroit, who I've kind of been angling for the Knicks to get for a while now, just because he's on a league minimum uh, contract for his experience. What's the point of him being in Detroit? He's a, a proven, incredible shooter, a passable defender. He should be on a bench for a contender, not Detroit. Yeah, no, I think they're, they're all excellent ones. I had Avery Bradley, uh, Bradley as well. Uh, Corey Joseph, I thought was a potential one, who's got a partial guarantee next year on only 2.4 million. So it's not going to cost a lot to buy him out. One of 2014, title with the Spurs. And then I think Rodney Hood, he's recovering from his Achilles still that he kept him out for almost all of last season. He's not recovered anywhere near to the level you'd want or expect from Rodney Hood, but he's a 6'8 wing, can play both ways. Uh, and he's he's got 10.85 million on his contract for next season, but it's completely non-guaranteed. So they could just end it without him, you know, picking up a penny of it or a cent rather. Um, so I'd like to see him go back to Utah, actually, um, just because I think he'd fit in nicely with that system. Uh, let's quickly go to games of the week before we close up then. Nick, who, what's your game of the week? Uh, I'm actually going to have to look because I don't remember who I picked. I, uh, it's Denver at the Clippers. Um, I think we haven't really talked about the Clippers, but they picked up Rondo. And I think he is exactly, he's earning a lot of money now, obviously, but he is exactly what the Clippers needed. He is going to be a leader on that team. Uh, he is one thing why I was on deadline day. I was kind of thinking, why would the Clippers not be trying to get into these Carl Lowry talks? Because he, um, even more so than Rondo, obviously, would be exactly what that team needs in terms of creating from the guard position and a vocal leader. And so Rondo is going to provide some of that. So I am really, really interested to see what kind of difference uh, he makes. And as we saw on the other side of Los Angeles last year, on a team who's going to play meaningful games, he can still make a difference. So, um, and obviously Denver, we talked about a lot earlier uh Interesting to see how that chemistry continues to develop. So, yeah, I, I picked uh, Denver at the Clippers. I went for also Denver, but against the Sixers on Tuesday night. Obviously, this bolstered Denver team, uh, see if they can kind of put a really significant run together against one of the best teams in the league. So it speaks for itself. Yep, uh, and I've gone Friday night, 12.30, Mavs at Knicks, two teams with very similar records. Um, should be a good one. Uh, apparently, we've got breaking news that Jeff Teague has signed for the Bucks. He's your favourite player, isn't he, Josh? Yeah, I'm going to count Bucks out of contention at this point. <laughs> Jeff Teague is a horrible basketball player to watch on your team. Yep. Uh, free agent, from this is from Woj, free agent guard Jeff Teague is signing with Milwaukee. Um I just remember him being at the NBA London game and just being a bit of a difficult person to talk to. I'll put it that way, <laughs> in the politest possible way. Um, okay, any other bits you want to hit before we go? Only the most puzzling move that we haven't talked about today that I found during it uh, during before the deadline was Portland acquiring Norman Powell, who's an incredibly good player, don't get me wrong, but losing Gary Trent, who has been incredible for them this season, and in my mind at least, feels like a better fit for a full-strength Blazer team alongside CJ and Dame. So interested to see how that works out. Norman Powell struggled with his health, incredible player when he's healthy, but 
uh, yeah, I'm just intrigued to see how that one works out, and I'm not sure why the Blazers did it. It felt like it was more of a kind of, um, you know, this is um, our chance, especially with a few teams depleted. Uh, falls more in line with uh, the CJ and Dame timeline. I think that Gary Trent isn't a fully realised version of himself, and Norman Powell absolutely is, and he's shooting at an unbelievable rate. Um, I, I think, personally, I think that's what, what that is, but I know that um, I can totally see your point that kind of, Trent is like really, really an exciting talent. Um, but I just think that power seems like more of a sure thing to combine with Dame, especially kind of reward Dame's um, willingness to kind of try and, uh, and, and win in Portland, uh, especially in the face of super teams. I know we just keep bringing that up. But. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think he really fitted as much as they was just, just sort of hoped he would in terms of you know what he could bring to that team. Um, and that made him expendable. He's obviously an unrestricted free agent this summer. I don't think they're going to want to cop to that deal. Uh, Powell obviously, uh, you know, doesn't give them anything they need in terms of wing defense, really, but is a solid, punchy player uh, who can go off and drop 45 in a game randomly. And didn't he have an incredible playoff game a couple of seasons ago? Because I remember we were all going mad about it over here. Um, I just went, I think they went with a, a, a more established commodity and. Uh, Generally, they've just been disappointed with uh, Trent as a as a whole. Y- you know the uh, the weird synchronicity of it all that his dad was traded uh, mm. at the same age to, to Toronto after playing the same amount of NBA games um, in his in his fourth season, which is just incredible. Um, exactly the same amount of games. Yeah, forty three games into their fourth season. Both Gary Trent Senior and Gary Trent Junior were traded from the Portland Trailblazers to the Toronto Raptors. That's absolutely amazing. It just makes me think that um, the Blazers did it for shits and giggles. Yeah. Sorry, <laughs> it's like, guys, why don't we do this? And someone was like, yes, in. Bet you, bet you $10 strange. you won't do it. <laughs> and Neil O'Shea's like, give me that $10. Right, anyway, <laughs> before we just go even further down random rabbit holes and keep up take the rest of your nights away or days whenever you listen to this uh, if you're not already please make sure you're following us at Double Clutch UK Facebook, Twitter Instagram and YouTube um, who was that whistling at me is that is that supposed to be Twitter Kirk that's so weird uh, <laughs> discord.me slash double clutch if you want to come and talk hoops with us every day of the week and twitch.tv slash double clutch UK if you want to watch us live every week which is what you should be doing Come and see our beautiful faces. Although right now, after a year in lockdown, I've gone from three-piece suits to sleeping on a three-piece suite. Um, So on that bombshell, uh, we shall bid you adieu and see you next week. I don't want to go to summer camp.